MSW Media. News was swearing. Daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. Today, Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Modley resigns after issuing an apology. Stephanie Grisham is also out the door. Ruth Bader Ginsburg rails against the Wisconsin election decision, a discussion about negligent homicide with Frank Faglusi. And just a day after Trump slammed the HHS Inspector General for her report on equipment shortages, he removes the Inspector General for coronavirus funding. I'm your host, A.G., and I'll be joined later for the good news with Jordan Coburn. Hey, everybody. It is A.G. I am here quarantining in quarantine day. Let's see. 14, 15, 16, 17. Day 17, I think. I don't know. I've got the little hash marks on the inside of my cave. Um, uh, I'm not in there right now. But um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, It's getting a little uh, easier uh, to be completely isolated by myself. I do have the pod pets. I, I will admit that I'm very grateful for the pod pets. Uh, and I'm playing Animal Crossing now. And I've, I've I've noticed now that I do my regular chores like I do like I do Animal Crossing chores. I'm like, okay, so I need to take the sheets off the bed, take the sheets to the laundry room, put them in the washing machine, take what's out of the washing machine, put it in the dryer. On my way back, I'll take the trash out from the laundry room and then head to the kitchen where I'm going to, like I plan it all out. Like, uh, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. And then I look at the weeds in my backyard uh, and I leave them there. That's the one main difference between, <laughs> between Animal Crossing and my real life. Um, took a shower today, changed the bedding. It was awesome. I, I feel, uh, feel pretty good today. Um, I just got finished talking to Jordan with the good news block. Uh, you're gonna love it. It's at the end of the show. And I have an interview with a uh, former assistant director of the FBI, uh, appointed by Bob Mueller. His name is Frank Fogluzzi, and he'll be with us, uh, for the interview. We're going to talk about negligent homicide and Trump culpability. It's a really interesting conversation you don't want to miss. Um, let's see what else is going on. I ordered more three wick candles from Bath and Body Works. That's my new, uh, addiction. Um, and I ordered a treadmill today. I pulled the trigger on a treadmill. I don't think gyms are going to be a thing for a while. And, um, so the money that I'm saving on the gym, I can just make payments on a treadmill. Plus it's rainy season, so you can't run outside. So I just sit, you know, I can't, when I can't exercise, I, I get sort of mopey and then, and the rain doesn't help, <clears throat> and it just sort of turns into this weird snowball depressive effect. But not anymore. Got got that on the way. Uh, this Friday, we're having another cocktail uh, quarantine Q&A session. Last week's theme was the Pajama Jammy Jam. This week's theme is cocktail attire. We're actually going to dress up. Um, a lot of people uh, have contacted me saying they miss dressing up, they miss putting on their face, they miss doing their hair. So we're going to do that. We're going to have a hashtag where you can post the pictures. We're all going to be on camera live. You can ask. Uh, we're going to be answering your questions uh, as you send them in, and uh, we're going to be dressed up. So it should be funny. Well, you know, we're all separate in different places, but that should be good. That's for patrons. So we'll send out the link to patrons to your patron email, the email you signed up for Patreon with, uh, midday Friday. So you'll have that. 
And I can't thank you enough for all of your support. Um, your support through Patreon allows us to keep going. So I appreciate that if you're able to do it. If you're not, no bigs. We're here for you anyway. And if you have anything you need to vent about or talk about or you're having issues or you're coping with depression or anxiety or PTS, anything, uh, uh, we're open. Um, our, our our message box is open. Send us an email. Hello at Muller, she wrote or um, reach out to us on Twitter and uh, we'll do our best to get to everybody. And, and, you know, if you just need a place to vent, we're here for that too. Uh, we do have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. I just want to start with the numbers really briefly um, for you. Here's from Johns Hopkins uh, Coronavirus Resource Center. And on their website, um, they are showing globally we're almost up to 1.5 million cases with 82,000 deaths globally. The United States um, is leading in the in the death in the number of deaths. Leading isn't the best word, but they, we have the by far the most with almost 400,000. We have 396,000 not deaths, excuse me, confirmed cases. Um, 396,223. Next confirmed cases below us is Spain with 141. So. That's quite a difference. Uh, and our death toll is now approaching 13,000. Um, we have 4,009 deaths in New York City. Um, and, t- uh, of course, very somber day for New York City. They had over 700 deaths, single biggest day, uh, day for um, people passing away in New York City yesterday. And it's still going up, um, although there are... Um, there is a little bit uh, of showing that they're maybe perhaps reaching their apex. So that is good news. And then Johns Hopkins is now reporting the total cases of recovered uh, patients uh, from, from COVID. And that's at 21,763 here in the United States have recovered. I'm still looking for data on whether these folks can test positive twice, because we heard stories coming out of Hong Kong that folks who had had and tested positive for coronavirus were getting it again, though symptom free, they were still carriers. And, and I, I'd like to see some studies done on our recovered patients here in the United States to see if they may be able to carry the virus but not be symptomatic. That would be um, something I think uh, well worth knowing. And there was another um, press briefing. And of course, uh, you know, we watch them so you don't have to. The theme for this press briefing was Trump closed it down. He closed it down. He's the winner. He's the best because he closed it down. And he was referring to travel from China and Europe. And we're going to fact check that a little bit later, but he brought it up several times. And he also talked about the World Health Organization being the bad guy that's China centric. And they tried to stop him from being awesome and closing it down Uh, and and closed it down seemed to be the key phrase that he kept hammering home. As we know, he's very about repetition um, for his misinformation so that it sticks. Um, It's harder to make lies stick. So you have to repeat them multiple times. Um, Fauci was absent again. Uh, Brick Burks was there uh, along with Pence, but we didn't get to hear from them. They cut away after Trump. They, they they air Trump and then they cut away for everyone else. Although I don't trust Burks or Pence either, but still. Um, and then during during this press briefing, Trump bragged about the dollar, uh, and then he shit all over everyone else's currency, saying ours is the best, the dollar is the best. Um, then he was asked about the Peter Navarro memo, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in the show, but briefly. Peter Navarro, the guitarist for Jane's Addiction and host of the hit television show Ink Master, circulated a memo. In, no, I'm kidding. Um, this is Peter Navarro, not Dave Navarro. Anyway, Peter Navarro, a conservative economic Fox Newsy advisor uh, to Trump. He circulated a memo 
to the White House in January, outlining the emergent nature of the epidemic, saying it could cost $6 trillion, uh, which it has, and half a million American lives. We have the $2.2 trillion stimulus plus $4 trillion extra in paper release for, for the banks. And um, But it said half a million lives. And that memo leaked to the Washington Post. And when Trump was asked about it, he denied having seen it or even heard about it. He never heard about it and he never saw it back in January. But he says, although at that same time, I was closing it down. I was closing down travel from China. He said he first spoke to Navarro about the memo today. Um, and he said he'll maybe he'll look at it later. He'll look at the memo later. Uh, but he only spoke to him about it for the first time today when he called and asked if he wrote a memo. And then he also started to talking about the World Health Organization and how the World Health Organization botched everything. We tried to stop him from being awesome and closing it all down, shutting down all the travel that he shut down, which has saved so many lives. And as a follow up, the reporter said, uh, actually, you were downplaying the virus when that memo was circulated, saying the virus would go away within a couple of days and cases would go down to zero. And Trump responded. I couldn't quite understand what he was trying to say, but he said, look, the cases didn't build up for a while, but I'm a cheerleader for the country. I don't want to create havoc or shock. And then he talked about his closing it down again, which he didn't do. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but he, he then admitted he downplayed it so he wouldn't scare us all. But then later he talks about how he didn't downplay it. In fact, when he when he called it the flu, it was, you know, he said the flu is worse. You know, when he talked about how many people died from the flu and this will just be a flu-like thing. He tried to convince everyone that when he, what he meant was it's going to be very, very serious because the, the 1918, 1917, he always calls it 1917, pandemic was a flu. And that was really bad. So he wasn't downplaying it. He was trying to tell us, I guess, in code uh, that it was very serious by just comparing it to a flu. When we know he was talking about seasonal flu, um, he said he, again, didn't see the memo. He said he wouldn't have changed his response had he seen the memo. Uh, he said he couldn't have done it any better than he already has. And when he closed down travel, he was acting on his own instinct, not a memo. No one told him anything. He saw no memo. I don't know of your memo. He, I have an instinct. I did it. Um, then he talked about a call with Biden he had. He said it lasted for 15 minutes, which is weird. And then he said Biden had called him a racist for banning travel from China. And now uh, Trump said Biden is admitting he was wrong and Trump was right. I don't think that happened. We'll see what Biden has to say about it. Um, then Trump said he wanted to freeze funding to the World Health Organization because they got it all wrong. And when asked about it, when asked to follow up about freezing, the, the pausing the aid to the World Health Organization, he said he didn't say that. I didn't say that. He said we were going to look at it. Uh, but he did say that. He also attacked pretty much every inspector general that worked under Obama. And then when asked about Wisconsinites, and who would be responsible, if anyone, if people die because they had to wait in line to vote? And Trump said, all I did was endorse a candidate, and now all of a sudden they care about safety. Um, and he says he knows nothing about lines, people waiting in lines. He knows nothing about that or any danger or whatever. Just a total deflection. Um, then he said, you'll have to ask the Democrat, the Democrat governor in Wisconsin. Um, you have to ask him, give him a call and ask him. That's his problem if people die voting. And, and he failed. He said, um, Trump said, I won Wisconsin in 2016 and I'll win it again uh, in 2020. And it's just weird because the governor tried to work with Republicans over and over again 
to keep the people safe, tried mail-in, they wouldn't do mail-in. They shut him down at every angle. And and Trump only won Wisconsin, by the way, by a few thousand votes. And I still don't have confidence in, in the legitimacy of that election anyhow. And then this was an interesting part. Someone asked Trump, if you're so against mail-in voting or vote by mail, why did you mail in your ballot in the last election? And he said, well, because you're allowed to, which I thought was hilarious. Um, and then finally, One America Network was there um, standing up in the back because this is this is the news organization that the White House Correspondents Association banned from the room for showing up and standing up in the back when she didn't have a seat because they're trying to socially distance. And he called on her standing up in the back and she um, teed him up for the payroll tax cut question. What are you going to do about a payroll tax cut? And he said it would be a great thing for the country. He wants it to be permanent. Uh, it would save money for businesses. It would give more money to workers. And it would. I want it, that to be permanent, but the Democrats are stopping it. And the reason the Democrats are stopping it is because that defunds Social Security and Medicare. That's where all that comes from. And so he, that's that's basically his that's his way of defunding those programs. Um, he didn't he didn't mention that though. Just mentions that uh, it would be you know Americans would have so much more money and uh, it would be permanent and beautiful and tremendous. So. That's what's going on with that. And with that, he ended the press conference. He finished with OAN and then and then walked out. And then Pence got up and they cut away from Pence. But some, some of the key fact checks I wanted to talk about that I was mentioning before, um, the key fact checks in today's briefing. First, when asked why he downplayed the coronavirus by saying it's only a flick, a flu. Like I said, he tried to convince everyone he wasn't downplaying it. He was saying it was serious because the worst pandemic ever was a flu. So now he's just full on denying that he downplayed the importance or the, the the urgency of the virus or the, you know, just downplayed the the severity. And then there was what he said about pausing funding for World Health Organization. He said he would pause funding. And then when asked about it in a follow-up, uh, a reporter was like, in regards to you pausing the funding for the World Health, he said, I never said that. I never said I was going to stop. I never, you're, you know, and he it was mad at, at the fake news media. And then, of course, when railing against vote by mail, which he did, by the way, he said it was rife with fraud. And there's zero evidence of that. He said he heard of people in living rooms filling out fake ballots, hundreds of fake ballots to fix elections. That is not a thing. And if it were, his the, the voter fraud agency he created wouldn't have been shut down for finding no voter fraud. I have a feeling that if that were happening, that would be a thriving organization. And then he also repeatedly mentioned how great he is for shutting down travel for Europe, but he didn't really. He shut down travel from a handful of countries and for certain groups of people, but he exempted U.S. citizens, permanent residents, and their family members, etc. And he also talked about banning travel from China, but as we know, about 40,000 people flew in from China after Trump imposed his restrictions, so there was no complete shutdown for travel from Europe or China. There were thousands, tens of thousands of people who still traveled to the United States from those regions after these uh, shutdowns that fixed everything. So um, that is the coronavirus update, and we'll be right back. I have more news, some stuff that's flown under the radar, so stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody. Today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Laurel Springs. Parents strive to provide opportunities that give kids the best chance to succeed. Um, Sometimes that means optimizing their routine and making it more flexible so that they have more time to focus on things that they love. And that's where Laurel Springs comes in. That's why it's so great. They're an accredited online private school for students K through 12. And they know that each child is a unique individual with their own personal interests and talents and unique learning styles. That's the most important part. Their flexible learning program offers challenging and diverse elective courses in an online format. You can do it from home. And they are accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges and Advance Ed, which means their transcripts are recognized by colleges and universities worldwide. Laurel Springs' personalized approach is competency-based and asynchronous, meaning students have the opportunity to progress through the material at their own pace, a pace that honors their individual skills and knowledge and learning style. And they also offer a rolling enrollment period. So that allows students to begin work at any time of the year, which is great for right now. Uh, I truly believe Laurel Springs improves the academic experience of the modern student with a flexible approach to find the best way to prepare them for success. So register your child at laurelsprings.com dailybeans today and receive a waived registration fee. That's laurelsprings.com slash dailybeans for your waived registration fee. laurelsprings.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. All right. From Kyle Cheney, who I absolutely love, and Connor O'Brien at Politico, President Donald Trump has upended the panel of federal watchdogs overseeing the implementation of the $2.2 trillion coronavirus law, tapping a replacement for the Pentagon official who was supposed to lead the effort. So per the rescue bill, a panel of inspectors general had named Glenn Fine, who is the acting Pentagon inspector general, to head up the oversight of the coronavirus relief fund. So all the inspectors general on this panel uh, of oversight, you know, panelists picked a leader and they picked Glenn Fine, who is the acting Pentagon inspector general. He's going to head up the oversight of the coronavirus relief fund. But Trump decided to remove him from his job. Uh, as as the inspector general at the Pentagon, and instead uh, installed uh, the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency Inspector General, to serve in that capacity. Now, Trump didn't directly fire him as the head of oversight for pandemic relief. Instead, he removed him as the inspector general at the Pentagon, which therefore disqualified him from the position because the law requires the head of the stimulus watchdog panel to be a current inspector general. This removal comes amid a new war on inspectors general by Trump. As we know, uh, last Friday night, he removed the intelligence community inspector general Atkinson, who was the official that forwarded the Ukraine whistleblower complaint to Congress. Um, Trump's targeting of Atkinson drew an unusual rebuke from Michael Horowitz, the Department of Justice inspector general, who also oversees a council of inspectors general. Horowitz said Atkinson handled the whistleblower matter appropriately and defended the broader inspector general community. Uh, beans on Horowitz getting the axe after this statement. And in fact, I've heard, and these are just rumors, I have no proof yet. There's no sourcing reporting on this uh, from uh, any mainstream outlets. But uh, there are now seven names, I think, that of inspectors general that Trump has submitted to have removed, all from uh, the Obama holdovers or prior, uh, but people who worked under Obama at all, whether they got there before or not. Uh, and then we talked yesterday about his attacks on Christy Grimm. That's the Health and Human Services Inspector General during his task force misinformation briefing on Monday, saying her report was wrong. It's wrong. Uh, she was an Obama person. Um, when in actuality, she became the Inspector General of Health and Human Services under Trump just this past January and has worked for the federal government since 1999. Um, her report wasn't an op-ed. It was a survey of 323 hospitals where the top issues they were facing are lack of testing equipment for coronavirus and lack of PPE. So Trump even referred to it as another fake dossier in a tweet 
that also referred to Grimm's tenure during the Obama administration. Um, so I doubt Grimm will be in her job much longer either. But what's mostly alarming about Trump being on the warpath against truth and oversight, aside from the purge of people, is the deafening silence from Republican lawmakers. It's crickets on that side of the aisle. Now, Democrats, on the other hand, are speaking up vehemently about the dismantling of the independent oversight within the government. Uh, House Oversight Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney, um, Democrat from New York, accused the president of engaging, quote, in an assault against independent inspectors general since last Friday in order to undermine oversight of his chaotic and deficient response to the coronavirus crisis. He's actually been doing this for a long time. I know that the Depart the DHS uh, inspector general is acting and then was on his way out and he hasn't been replaced. And he's just hobbling in offices of inspector general everywhere. Um, the VA inspector general, uh, it's he's really got it out for anybody who's not on his side. And basically anyone who tells the truth is not on his side. And basically inspectors general tell the truth. That's their job is to limit or go after or report uh, waste, fraud, and abuse within the federal government, which we want. We want that. So who did Trump put in charge? A stimulus oversight. Um, well, they have to pick a new person. The panel of inspectors general has to pick a new person. But this person that he put in, in charge of the Pentagon, uh, or the Department of, the Department of Defense, uh, inspector general's office, is Sean O'Donnell. He's, he's also the inspector general from the Environmental Protection Agency. He'll be dual-hatted. He'll be providing oversight for the EPA and the coronavirus stimulus bill. Why on earth would a president want to stretch so thin somebody providing oversight at the Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Defense? And, I mean, the, the decision to have him simultaneously monitor the DOD is raising alarms among environmental advocates who worry oversight of the EPA could suffer as a result. And it will. And that's by design. Uh, don't think for one second that it's not. And the new coronavirus law includes multiple layers of oversight, the most powerful of which is the panel of inspectors general, given wide latitude to probe any aspect of the implementation of the stimulus package. Um, and Fine was named by fellow inspectors general the to lead that panel last week. Now his colleagues will have to make a new selection, as I said. And according to Politico, Fine had been the acting Pentagon watchdog since early 2016, after joining the Defense Department Inspector General's office in 2015 during the Obama administration. So either this is Trump's way to, to stymie the oversight of the stimulus or purge Obama administration inspectors general or both kill two birds, uh, right? And and Fine was also the pre previously the Justice Department's Inspector General from 2000 to 2011, spanning three administrations for both parties. But he happened to work under Obama, so he's got to go. Um, and the, the Abend, who has been nominated to take over as the permanent Pentagon Inspector General and a senior policy advisor with U.S. Customs and Border Protection. So, this, so there is a permanent nominee to take over the Pentagon um, Inspector General. His last name is Abend, A-B-E-N-D. He's been nominated um, and currently is a senior policy advisor, like I said, with uh, Border Patrol, uh, uh, CBP. Uh, but uh, the Senate is out of session until April 20th, at least. And the shortened election year calendar will give the Senate Armed Services Committee pretty much no time to confirm Abend, meaning O'Donnell may be in for an extended stay at the Pentagon. While he's dual-hatted as the EPA Inspector General, I'm certain that is also by design. And as we speak, uh, tens of thousands of Wisconsinites are lined up six feet apart, wearing masks, 
holding signs saying this is ridiculous in lines that stretch for blocks and blocks to vote in that state's local and Democratic Party primary elections. Because despite Governor Evers' efforts to postpone the election amid the pandemic, uh, Republicans insisted the election must go forward. In-person voting must go forward. And the conservative Wisconsin Supreme Court agreed six to two. And eventually the conservative United States Supreme Court agreed to, but not without Ruth Bader Ginsburg having her say. She wrote a scathing dissent about this decision. So from Nick Visser of Huffington Post last night, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg excoriated her conservative colleagues over their decision to deny Wisconsin Democrats' request to extend the deadline for absentee voting in the state's election on Tuesday, despite concerns over the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. In a 5-4 vote on Monday, the Supreme Court's conservative bloc refused to extend the absentee voting deadline by six days, saying instead all mail-in ballots must be postmarked by Tuesday and received by April 13th. Democrats have pleaded with the courts to give more leeway to voters as COVID-19 wreaks havoc around the nation, infecting, obviously, more than 366,000 people. Uh, it's higher higher now um, and killing more than 10,000 in Politico, but now we know it's up to almost 13,000. The nation's top public health officials have urged Americans to practice social distancing. Trump has urged Americans to practice practice social distancing and to remain at home as much as possible. Um, the directives that run counter, these are the directives that run counter to the, you know, the entering a crowded polling place. So it's, it's very interesting that on one hand, the Republicans finally have come around to saying, you know, we have to do these, you know, the 30-day... Um, guidelines that Pence holds up every press conference. And now, nope, but go vote. You have to go vote today. So just very, very contradictory and also very unsafe. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was joined in her dissent by the other three liberal justices, says her conservative colleague's decision to see the election proceed as planned would effectively strip many Wisconsinites of their right to vote through no fault of their own. Uh, Quote, the question here is whether tens of thousands of thousands of Wisconsin citizens can vote safely in the midst of a pandemic uh, with the majorities stay in place with yeah with the majorities stay in place that will not be possible either they will have to brave the polls endangering their own and others safety or they will lose their right to vote through no fault of their own uh, this is a matter of utmost importance to the constitutional rights of Wisconsin citizens the integrity of the state's election process and in this most extraordinary time the health of the nation The Wisconsin Election Commission reported Monday that 43 percent of absentee ballots already requested had not yet been returned. She says, quote, while I do not doubt the good faith of my colleagues, I do. But she says, while I do not doubt the good faith of my colleagues, the court's order, I fear, will result in massive disenfranchisement. A voter cannot deliver for postmarking for uh, for a ballot she has not yet received. Yet tens of thousands of voters who timely requested ballots are unlikely to receive them by April 7th. And that's the court's postmark deadline. So these, what she's saying is the people who requested absentee ballots aren't even going to get them in time to turn them in by the deadline, disenfranchising tens of thousands of Wisconsinites. At the same time, Wisconsin's highest court blocked another effort by government Governor Evers to postpone all in-person voting. We talked about that yesterday. And, and they did that in a 4-2 decision. Uh, both liberal justices dissented, and the move came just 14 hours before the polls were set to open. 14 hours. Um, that's just, it's democracy or death. And it's very, it's, it's, what a terrible choice to have to put somebody 
to make someone, force someone to make, through no fault of their own, as Ginsburg said. Ben Weichler, the head of Wisconsin's Democratic Party, said uh, the court's decision would be etched in history and potentially result in many deaths. Quote, the Supreme Court of the United States legislated from the bench today following Trump's team's orders and writing new election law to disenfranchise untold thousands of Wisconsin voters and co-sign an unknown, an unknown number of Wisconsinites to their deaths. That's what uh, Ben Weichler said. Um, SCOTUS, the conservative members, though, said such concerns had already been addressed, claiming they even uh, that even in ordinary elections, absentee ballots are usually received on the day before or the day of the election. Um, so, hey, voter disenfranchisement is normal. You should be fine with it, is what the conservative court says. Um, quote, this, the dissent's rhetoric is entirely misplaced and completely overlooks the fact that the deadline for receiving ballots was already extended to accommodate Wisconsin voters from April 7th to April 13th. So tough shit, says the conservative court. Hmm. It really sets you up to be quite worried about November. Um, and... I think the best I can tell you to do is to call your local voter registrar and say, what's the plan? What's our plan? And and work together. Um, reach out to other people in your community and organize. Do it digitally and, and, and make phone calls and, and try to find out if your vote is protected. It's so important. It's, it's the most important thing I can think of in these times um, is our voice and how desperately the Republicans want to suppress it. Uh, we'll be right back. I have an interview with Frank Faglusi on the other side of this break. He's incredible, uh, former assistant director of the FBI, appointed to counterintelligence, head of counterintelligence the FBI by Bob Mueller himself. We're going to talk about negligent homicide. And as we know, Bob Mueller was a murder guy. So, I mean, you know, he was a, hom he was a homicide <laughs> investigator. <laughs> Bob Mueller, murder guy, uh, right after this break. Stick around. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of the Daily Beans is brought to you by thezebra.com. We all know how important it is right now for all of us to conserve resources and money. But did you know that Americans are overpaying on car insurance by over $21 billion? Oftentimes, searching for a better deal can take hours and usually results in a barrage of unwanted spam phone calls. Until now. And that is thanks to TheZebra.com. TheZebra.com is the nation's leading car insurance com comparison site because it is the only place you can compare quotes side by side from over 100 providers and choose the best fit for you in 90 seconds or less. They make it so easy. It's just such an intuitive site. It's just so wonderfully put together and I, I can't recommend it enough. And they will never sell your information to the spammers. So you don't get all that unwanted calls or mails, emails. You're not in a pressure situation with a salesperson. You just answer a few questions on your time without someone yelling in your face on a simple fast form. Nobody's going to call you a million times afterwards if you don't pick their company. And they find the best rates for you. It's like the kayak of auto insurance. TechCrunch called the zebra the kayak for auto insurance. And the best part is it's totally free. Uh, and you can save up to $670 a year on average using thezebra.com. I know we could all use the extra cash right about now. So check out thezebra.com. How much can you save on car and home insurance? I, I, I bet you that you're driving less, and that could impact your rates. So you might as well compare for free at thezebra.com. So head to thezebra.com slash thedailybeans. That's thezebra.com slash thedailybeans, spelled T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A dot com slash dailybeans. Start saving today at thezebra.com slash dailybeans. 
And joining us today to discuss what the president knew and when he knew it, to coin a phrase, is former FBI assistant director and NBC national news national security uh, contributor Frank Figlusi. Frank, thanks for agreeing to speak with me today. Of course. I'm happy to join. So I was watching you uh, talk with Nicole Wallace a little bit ago about Trump's vendetta against inspectors general. And I wanted to speak with you a little bit, a bit about that in a, in a minute. But first, uh, you tweeted earlier this morning about a memo that was circulated by Trump's economic advisor, Peter Navarro, that warned the White House in January that coronavirus could cost $6 trillion and half a million American lives. And your tweet said, think the evidence in Trump's last impeachment was powerful? How about negligent homicide? And I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, first, can you tell us what kind of guy Peter Navarro is? I mean, is he like a deep state left wing Washington Post reading kind of guy or not so much? Well, I think, look, I, I don't know Peter Navarro personally. So I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm stuck with the public record on Navarro. And and I think the verdict is still the jury's still out on Navarro. But everything he seems to, to uh, reflect is a, is a real loyalty to Trump. And I think you know, sometimes sometimes people do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Sometimes sometimes bad people do good things. And I think in this case, there's evidence which prompted my tweet. There's evidence that Navarro saw the data. He's a, he's a bright guy, as we've learned. He's a PhD. He saw the data. He saw a threat. He presented it to the to the president. And if uh, the reporting is correct, he put it in writing. And uh, here we are um, with uh, an inadequate response. Yeah, I 100% agree. And about the negligent homicide part, you have vast experience, not not just with prosecution and with the FBI, but having been the assistant director of the FBI appointed by Bob Mueller to counterintelligence. And Bob Mueller is a homicide guy, from what I from what I understand. Uh, tell us what negligent homicide is, and if Trump could even possibly be investigated for it. Sure. Well, the, the, your second question is going to be the more complicated one. The first part is easy. So let's let, let's just quickly walk through the three elements of negligent homicide. The first is that in the case of in the case of Trump or a corporate CEO, and that analogy works well, and I'll explain why. You have a duty to act, and you are grossly negligent in failing to act on that duty. Okay. So um, I think it's easily agreed upon that the president has a duty to preserve the health and safety of the United States. And that duty is there. And then we get into the issue of gross, gross negligence and a failure to act in a grossly negligent manner. And let's say that we were to define grossly negligent as being warned by multiple intelligence briefers and even an economic advisor that a major deadly pandemic was coming your way and that you had some lead time to take action. Well, we don't see that kind of lead action. In fact, by most reporting, we've got a 70-day delay between any serious action to protect us and the time that he, the president was first notified of the, of the coming threat. So we don't see, a, for example, a stocking up of the national stockpile. We don't see an assessment of what might be needed for this type of virus. We don't see an all-hands-on-deck call with the governors and with Department of Homeland Security and with CDC. We see no evidence of that. In fact, we're beginning to see more and more evidence of inaction and ignorance for those warning him of the threat. So I would say the first element, a duty to act and a gross negligence in failing to act, is present. Let's go to the second element. 
that, that means that your failure to act is reasonably likely to cause bodily injury or death. Well, I would assert that if you fail to act and you've been warned that you must act, that you're going to reasonably know that your failure to act is going to cause people to get really sick and likely even die, based on what's happening, for example, in China. Move on to the last element, the third element, that in fact your failure to act does in fact result in bringing about death or serious bodily injury. And you say, well, what does that mean? That's like, that sounds like a cause relationship, right? Uh, causal relationship. So the law, what the law says about causing death or serious bodily injury is that your inaction was a substantial factor in bringing about death. So you could easily make an argument that that his failure to act was a substantial factor in X number of extra lives being lost that did not have to be lost. Where I come from on this, you mentioned Bob Mueller was a homicide prosecutor. Where I come from on this, my personal experience is for periods of my time, I oversaw large teams of white collar corporate fraud squads in the FBI. And I am telling you that in a heartbeat, the FBI would open a case on a corporate CEO or senior executive who through warning, gross inaction, failure to, to comply with his duty to act brought about death or serious bodily harm. It's happened over and over again in uh, say healthcare fraud cases at, at the hospital and clinic level. It's happened in uh, environmental crimes and illegal dumping. It's happened in hazardous materials being transported on major airlines that resulted in death. Um, it's almost a no-brainer that you'd open that case up. Mm -hmm. And that that's what prompted my response um, was the corporate, how we would treat a corporate CEO. And if you view your president as a corporate CEO, in fact, that's what he ran on. Mm -hmm. He was a businessman. <laughs> then I think we should be applying that, that standard. Yeah, and I know we learned from um, Andrew McCabe all about the criteria for the FBI opening an investigation um, you know, when we were going over the Mueller report and, uh, if memory serves from covering the Mueller investigation, we all know, um, from the federal criminal justice manual that you have, you know, about being able to obtain and maintain a conviction, but isn't it harder to prove? I mean, well, I should ask, is it, uh, in, in a, a negligent homicide case, is it hard to prove like some of the white collar crime insider trading uh, that you've that you've dealt with, or is it is it is it easier? Is it harder? Is it easier? Because I know that the, the the it was tough for you know to prove a lot of these white collar cases. Well, it, it look white collar crime at this level, actually, actually accusing a company or a corporation or a CEO of of uh, causing death or serious bodily harm. That's that's serious stuff. It's complex stuff. But there's there's good reason to believe that this could happen. Um, and and here's why. There's there's written record of every single briefing. So um, bad news, good news. Uh, bad news for Trump um, is that he works in the White House where everything is meticulously recorded. Intelligence briefers document their briefing material. Um, there's been a leak already of Navarro's uh, uh, emails or written briefings. So that's on record. The bad news is uh, for, for us, for anyone trying to seek justice in this, would be that we're talking about the president of the United States. We're talking about this president, and we're clearly not going to see any effort um, to bring him to justice on this in this administration. The question is whether it could come later, and I would assert 
that you're going to see the kinds of commissions and hearings and evidence gathering that we saw, for example, post 9-11, mm-hmm. where, where we learned the truth, that the warnings were there, that the, that, that the White House had been briefed, this guy named bin Laden is trying to hurt us, and something's in the works, and the chatter is there, and it's coming at us. Um, and assuming the statute of limitations is five years for this sort of thing, um, as a civilian, I think that gives <laughs> that only gives about a four month window um, for this kind of thing. I'm assuming they aren't going to toll that statute of limitations just because he's president. Um, so it's very important that everybody get out and vote, right? Yeah, I mean, look, we are the the, the purest form of justice would be to vote and have the offender removed from any possibility of causing further harm. And to make the corporate analogy, we often in complex white collar cases will end up settling, right, with a major company that's going to try to try to write a big check. He's going to help the victims, right? We This happens all the time in the justice system. And we, we just come to an agreement that, look, corporations are tough to put in prison, right? Are they people? Are they not people? Who's responsible? You got a board of directors, blah, blah, blah. And, and you end up in some kind of negotiated settlement. Look, our negotiated settlement for as a nation would be to, to vote this guy out. Yeah, because like you said, nothing is likely to happen under this administration. And so getting a resignation as part of some sort of settlement is probably not like like how, like what happened to Spiro Agnew is probably not in the cards. Right. So yeah. and um, I want to I, I want to just add, though, that on this evidence issue, right, on the fact that there is documented evidence, I, I I hate to bring this up because we're 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 going through a hell of a week as a nation here, and it's and it's not anywhere near over. But the 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 efforts to fire inspectors general is is in a in a sense I, I think where this is going is is actually more obstruction of justice. And I know people are going to cringe at this statement, but when you see the president um, firing somebody like removing from his office Glenn Fine as he did in the last 24 hours, um, the inspector general over the stimulus package, right? He happens to be sitting at defense as an inspector general, but he was named by the community of IGs to oversee the compliance involving the the, uh, stimulus package for Corona. Well, Trump heard that there's a guy that's going to overlook how he spends the money. He got rid of Glenn Fine. We now see the attacks on the HHS inspector general, who had the audacity to do what? Um, issue a report saying she talked to over 300 hospital administrators who said they still don't have the supplies they need. And we saw him lash out. And I predict eventually she'll be gone as well. Why am I bringing that up? It hurts my evidence chain. When I when I see someone literally suppressing evidence in a case, mm-hmm. and by that case, I mean what we've just been talking about, I, I think we're seeing, we're watching in real time an obstruction and suppression of evidence. I believe that, and let's, let's go to the intelligence community, Inspector General Atkinson, who is now forced out. Why do I think that's linked to what we're talking about? Because I believe that the briefers on the, on the global pandemic threat in the intelligence community have queued up to say, I briefed the White House on this date and this time. I wrote this paper on global pandemic. It was ignored. And I think part of seeing Atkinson fired is the concern that there are more whistleblowers coming with regard to coronavirus. 
Mm. Yeah, and that kind of uh, that concept of the totality of the evidence was pretty much the foundation of the Mueller obstruction case as well. I, th- I know we went over that a lot um, on our podcast, so that makes a lot of sense um, when you're talking about this, you know, pattern of suppression of evidence. I, I wouldn't even I would be surprised if his anything before that, the suppression of evidence in Ukraine, the suppression uh, in the Ukraine scandal, the suppression of, uh, suppression of evidence in the, in the Mueller investigation also played a role in putting together uh, a pattern of behavior there. But um, one last thing before I I'll let you go, you had Nicole Wallace, that uh, you thought presidential pardons might be coming next. Why is that? Because I, I, I see a pattern. Look, to the extent that past performance is an indicator of uh, future conduct, we, we, we know that he is going to be exploiting this moment in our history, this moment of crisis for his own aggrandizement, for his own, for, to progress his own agenda. We've seen the firing of the IGs. And and he we saw just before the virus. Remember, we saw the groundwork being laid, whether it was the pardon um, or commutation of sentence for uh, the governor of Illinois, whether it was throwing things out about Pete Rose should be pardoned and join the Hall of Fame. We saw him beginning to lay the groundwork for pardons. We saw him mention Mike Flynn, for example. Right. And I'm telling you, that if this crisis goes on, he's going to continue to exploit it. He's going to continue with the the, the groundwork he was laying, and we're going to see pardons of, uh, of of whether it's Stone or Flynn or others. He's going to seize he's going to seize the moment. Right, or both, and Manafort. Yeah, I I, I completely understand that. Uh, well, I appreciate you coming on talking to us today, former assistant director of the FBI, NBC National Security contributor Frank Fagluzzi. Thanks again for agreeing to speak with me today. Thanks, AG. Stay healthy. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this final segment of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. I try to do the right thing, keep my body healthy in the long run, but no matter how hard we try, there's still going to be gaps in my diet, no matter what I do. And I'm most likely not getting all the essential nutrients I need on a daily basis, and that's why I want to talk to you about Ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, all in their clean, absorbable forms. There's no additives, no shady ad, no weird ingredients, just two easy-to-take capsules that provide nine essential nutrients. I started taking Ritual last year, and I already feel more energy and clarity. I have for a while now. I Mentally, I feel good knowing that I'm filling the gaps in in my diet and I'm getting the vitamins my body needs. Um, Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin to help fill the gaps in your diet in a women's diet from D3 to omega-3. And there's they have these no-nausea capsule designs, so it's gentle on an empty stomach. And there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep it fresh so you don't get that fishy aftertaste common with most omega-3s. Ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients. Ritual is delivered directly to your door. Uh, Subscriptions are easy to start, and they're easy to pause. And it's only a dollar a day uh, to have all the essential nutrients your body needs. Better health doesn't happen overnight, and right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during your first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Get on it while you're in quarantine. uh, Visit ritual.com slash dailybeans to start your ritual today. That's 10% off your first three months at ritual.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Today, I am joined by Jordan Coburn to discuss the good news of the day. Jordan, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for putting me on good news duty. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking like, you know, uh, you know, as as comedians, 
trying to laugh our way through the coronavirus press briefings and updates is probably not the best uh, way to go about this. So I figured it would be much more fun uh, to have the the good news discussion with you and to just do the, you know, the more somber news briefings up front. So yes, definitely. I feel like I, uh, like I got taken off some sort of duty that I was not prepared for <laughs> to be on for that entire time. They're like, all right, let's let's yeah. give this kid a break. She she made a valiant effort, but she's falling apart. Um, <laughs> no, it's not so much that. It's just, <laughs> I mean, I think we work so much better talking about good news and happy stuff. So I'll go first. Um, first of all, you know Thomas Modley, the acting Secretary of the Navy, who flew. Uh, 800 miles down to, to to Guam to badmouth the captain of the Roosevelt after he had been unceremoniously ousted, mm-hmm. much to the chagrin of the crew. Uh, they gave him a really uh, warm send off when he was disembarking. You know, they were chanting his name and and very supportive, and and that's how it always is. In, you know, in the Navy, and uh, so this, you know, and he he's nuke. He, uh, um. Captain Crozier was a nuke, right? I went to nuke school. He went to nuke school. Um, it's a very difficult school. Very smart, intelligent, super great guy. And 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 then here we have Modley, who was like a junior helicopter pilot. So he flies down there, badmouths the captain of the ship to the ship's crew. You could hear people in the background going, what the fuck? And uh, he he was forced today to apologize. That was the first news that we got was that he apologized. And then uh, in the afternoon, it turns out he resigned. He resigned his position. So he is gone. So I'm very happy about this. Do you think it's fair to say that was purely from shame? I don't know what motivated him to resign if he resigned or if um, maybe the, you know, somebody else in, in the Pentagon was like, you got to go, bro. Or if I, you know, if Trump had anything to do with it, I have no idea. Uh, I I guess we might learn, um, you know, in the coming days. But, you know, all in all, I'm just glad he's gone. He was terrible. Yeah, me too. That was a quick moving storyline, too, over the last week. Yeah, I, I think somebody high up at the Pentagon, somebody high up in the Navy, uh, like the person, uh, um, Gilday, who mm-hmm. opposed the the quick firing of Crozier and was overridden by Modley. I think maybe he um, probably lobbied to get him to resign. And, mm-hmm. and I think maybe a lot of high, high level officials in the Navy agreed or at the Pentagon and Department of Justice. And also gone, also gone today, Stephanie Grisham. Right. Weird. Yeah, she just she's gone, um, probably to start her career with Fox News, uh, as every other <laughs> former press secretary. Maybe she'll go on Dancing with the Stars like like Spicy did. That'd be amazing if Trump tries to blame the poor outward facing response on his press secretary that never hosted a single press conference. I know, I know, not one. And, you know, you could actually have six entire seasons of Dancing with the Stars with former uh, Trump um, press <laughs> press people. Like, mm-hmm. it's just insane. Uh, that would be interesting. Dancing with former White House employees. Ugh, God. Who the hell's going to watch that? That is exclusively a Fox program. <laughs> uh, and also, I wanted to talk a little bit about New Zealand. I know yesterday we were talking about Prime Minister of New Zealand calling the you know the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy essential employees, and and to you know let kids know that they would still be doing their job, they'd still be out on patrol, though they might not make it to every house, you know. Um, 
and just I, I she came up on my radar with her handling of of the shooting, uh, the mass shooting in New Zealand, and her amazing handling of that situation. And now, um, they New Zealand has one coronavirus death, uh, and they have completely smashed the curve. The curve didn't even exist in New Zealand. So I just you know hats off to whatever you know whatever they're doing down there. I wish, I wish our government would take take note of 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 their response to this pandemic. Yeah, she I definitely had um leader envy with her more than once. Yeah, that's what that's what happens when you put a woman in charge. Mhm. I know, seriously. I think I think you said that um either in a text exchange or on a, our Facebook group, but yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it's uh yeah, Amanda said that, I think. Ah, yes, that was that was Mandy Reedy. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, you have our listener good news stories and I guess a couple of quarantine confessions. What What do you have? Yeah, so I'll start it with our good news. We got a bunch of good news. First one is from Kirsten. She says, uh, MSW patron and Indivisible organizer, here is some good news. My good news is that a coalition of progressive groups, including Indivisible, Demcast, and PA Resists, is going to organize our first digital rally. We're rolling out details today. We're holding this digital event on Friday, April 10th from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. The topic of the event is Trump's awful mishandling of this pandemic response. We are asking participants to take a picture of themselves wearing a mask, if they have one, and holding a sign that reads, Trump's COVID fails, and then to tweet it out between 8 to 9 p.m. on Friday, uh, or share it on a designated Facebook post using the hashtag, hashtag Trump's COVID fails. And we'd like them to tweet with what they think Trump's worst blunder has been, along with that image. So just a good, a good it's, like a, it's like a good hate rally almost, but on the liberal side. <laughs> <laughs> and that's amazing i it i is. love that i love it too it's nice to vent you know we can't march so you know yes. we, we digitally we digitally march and i'm glad indivisible i leave it to indivisible what an incredible organization leave it to them to find out a, find a way to digitally organize a rally yes and i just want to make it very clear obviously i use the word hate in a very different sense than when we talk about actual hate-filled rallies uh but this i love because people need to get together and it's it's tough it's tough finding people you know you don't want to like maybe ruminate on it on your own all the time or you don't want to share it with the person that you're living with or something so it's good to have a space where you can come and just kind of vent about all this stuff because there are so many things that are vent worthy indeed indeed there are yes uh all right next from cynthia Uh, She says, thank you so much for all you do to help make the world a better place. As you know, the extrovert capital of America, New Orleans, has been hit really hard by the COVID crisis. And as a city that is reliant on the hospitality industry for much of our income, it's been really devastating for many people here. Fortunately, we also have an amazingly creative community and all kinds of amazing responses have occurred to help people and businesses out. I have several friends who are cooking seafood and delivering it to healthcare workers' homes on Fridays traditional during the Lent season in this Catholic city, and an awesome drag queen friend who has started hosting town hall meetings on Facebook to provide emotional support for affected community members. One of our more esoteric Mardi Gras crews, I believe that's how it's said, K-R-E-W-E-S, or is that a word that I don't know? I don't know it. I'm going to say Cruz, has started taking donations to buy food at local restaurants for healthcare workers and has so far raised more than $100,000, I think that says... It might be, it's cutting off, but I think that's a hundred, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, a hundred thousand wow. dollars. That's insane. 
and local musicians are doing front porch concerts and serenading neighbors. My feed is full of musician friends performing for anyone interested. The New Orleans Jazz Museum's Facebook and Instagram pages have done a great job tracking and posting these if you want to take a look. That is so cool. I will definitely be following uh, all of those groups. Very cool. Yeah, that's great. We got a good news story yesterday, much like that one, where some they're working together to raise money, I think using the Nextdoor app to... Um, to buy food from local businesses to give to frontline workers, healthcare workers, et cetera. I think they were up to 25,000 and that's just in their little neighborhood. So mm-hmm. I love these programs. This is a really good idea. It's something you can organize where you are. Yeah, this is really cool. Um, and then I will do one more from our from our first block. Uh, this is from Anonymous. On our long quarantine walks, we fill bags with roadside trash to clean up our little corner of the world safely, wearing gloves and using a grabber. I love this one because anybody can do that uh, if they are able. I shouldn't say anybody. If you are safe, willing, and able, uh, then, you know, that's a pretty on-the-ground thing to do, and it makes a big difference. That is, that's, that's a really good idea. I used to do that, like, when I was in high school and college, we'd go out have a beach pickup day or whatever and now you can't don't go to the beach but like just walking around your neighborhood picking up trash while you know while you're out doing your daily walk getting some fresh air um again don't go to parks don't go to the beach or anything but what you know i just think it's cool a little local cleanup stuff reminds me of leslie nope yeah yeah (laughs) just very adamant (laughs) and dedicated to her local (laughs) spot in the world when she's in like waders up to her knees in the Pawnee River, like picking up trash and shit out of it. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. I'm here for the Pawnee River cleanup. And it's just her in boots, like cleaning up the river. <laughs> so funny. God, she's so good. Ugh, I know. What a great show. What a yeah. great show. If, you, if, you, if you're looking for something to binge, Parks and Rec is where it's at. Absolutely. It's, it's like that. And I know, are you the one that's not a huge fan of The Office? I forget. Yeah, I think Parks and Rec is much better than The Office. And I, you and I had this conversation where I was yes. like, when I watched The Office, I just felt like I was at work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I feel like they're filmed very similarly. So they I are. appreciate both of their senses of humor. Essentially, it's just taking taking workplaces that could be otherwise mundane, but obviously the characters are so rich and fruitful <laughs> that it that it's so fun to watch. Love that stuff. Um, yeah, that one and uh, that one in Veep is another great example of a government show. Yeah, I just started watching that because you recommended it. It's so it. good. And uh, of course, 30 Rock, which is not a government organization, but it is a major corporation. That's pretty yes. great too. And, and every, everything Tina Fey and Amy Poehler touch is just gold. So Yeah, it really is. Um, side note on office things too. I forget, did I mention the thing John Krasinski is doing called Some Good News? Have you all talked about that? Yes. We, do- we talked yes. about that? Okay, cool. Just want to make sure everyone checks that out. There was an amazing second episode thing that happens at the end and it has to do with hamilton there's a little girl who didn't get to see hamilton and john krasinski does this amazing thing for her that is like i was just sitting there staring with my jaw on the floor like tears welling up it was so cool so um, tell everybody who john tell tell everybody who he is ah yes john krasinski is the man that plays jim halpert of jim and pam in the office yes yes the tall gangly goofy man yeah, and he has uh, uh, Good News Network, right? GNS. Yes, some, some good, yeah, some or good GSN. news. Or GSN. Yeah. GNN. Oh, some good news. SGN. I knew there was an S in there somewhere. Yes. I was like, what's the S? 
in Good News Network. Exactly. So he took it upon himself to compile all this good news and then do like 15 minute videos with, you know, random guests. Robert De Niro has a cameo in the second one. He's only done two episodes, but if you look them up, it's just dedicated to good vibes and it's short, quick and fun. And it's just, it's nice. It's really nice to see celebrities coming out and doing stuff like that. Um, yeah, I have, although I have good news block jealousy. Because he, we we were doing it before? Be- because we don't have De Niro Oh well, yeah, we were doing it before, but like you know, we don't we don't get De Niro in our good news block. So yes, I know that is that's a tough one to match. He's only in it for literally one sentence though, so who knows? We might be able to get someone to throw us a sentence. Doesn't uh... yeah, I'll reach out. I'll yeah. reach out to my three celebrity friends and see who I can get. Yeah, we can get a D-list celebrity to say a paragraph or a B-list celebrity maybe to say a word. We can. I think we can make. <laughs> We could make something happen. <laughs> Maybe I'll just buy it on Cameo and then say yeah. that they were part of it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, Stormy Daniels, can you just say uh, our neighborhood oh. program raised $25,000 to buy food for healthcare workers? <laughs> we'll just have... <laughs> Hell yes. That would be so cool. We'll just use Cameo. I bet she's on there too. That would be so freaking awesome. Oh, God. She is Andy- on there. Andy McCabe. I wonder if he's on Cameo. <laughs> no, <not>. I doubt it. <laughs> that would Can you be imagine great, him though. just like, happy birthday, Christina. I uh, <laughs> hope you're being a good kid and making good choices. This is Andy McCabe. <laughs> Don't break the law. <laughs> <laughs> the most fa- fatherly Cameo appearance. Um, so good, though. Uh, okay. The next section from Good News, this is new. This is apparently from uh, our listeners who requested this, and I love this idea, and Amanda put it into the works, and it's called Quarantine Confessions. So she uh, she put out a call for funny stories that come from quarantine, and you all answered, so let's hear some of those. First one's from Anonymous. Uh, they say, after the house is asleep, I sneak out the garage to eat from the last sleeve of, si- of Thin Mints that I have hidden in the big freezer. Only one cookie a <laughs> night, and I savor it like a drag from a borrowed cigarette. I nearly got <laughs> caught Sunday night by my husband, but quickly made up a story about looking for ground turkey in the freezer. I only have 13 left, and I'm rationing them out for my sanity. What am I going to do when they run out? <laughs> You can get them delivered now, um, but uh, I I have to say though, if you're ca- if you're calling in anonymous, I don't know how much of a confession that is, really. Yeah, that's yeah. I was just gonna say they re- they're really committed to this submitting as anonymous. There's no way in hell their family's finding out. They'll go to the grave with the secret. So funny. That is so great. It's like post secret, but quarantine secret. Yes, definitely. I think. Um, <laughs> That's so funny and relatable because Thin Mints, they're so light and airy. It's so easy for some asshole in your house to just eat a bunch of them. Now, you put them in the hands of someone responsible like this. They're having one a day, one a night, savoring it, treating them responsibly. So good on you, Anonymous, I say. I consider a serving of Thin Mints to be a tube. (laughs) Yes. A tube, a sleeve of of Thin Mints, so... (laughs) I know. They're so good. Okay, that was very funny. Next, from Curtis. Curtis says, each day that goes by without a shower, I am amazed that how stench actually grows exponentially, which is so true. It's, I think, 
I'm wondering. I'm, I'm, day one. Day one smells like day one. Day two smells like day eight, and day three smells like day thirty. So yeah. yes, yeah, exactly. Which are time periods you haven't yet made it to, but you can only imagine it's far down the way because it should not be this bad. That is, that's how I feel like. Um, you know, there's no reason for us to not take showers, really, unless you know maybe you're trying to conserve for another reason or something but in general you could just shower every day so i like that we've all just universally agreed we're not showering (laughs) yeah hey save the water right why 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 put california into another drought when you know you don't have to yeah so funny um i have noticed that myself though but with native deodorant you won't smell (laughs) for 24 hours i don't know what their guarantee is that's where the ad falls off (laughs) <laughs> I like lavender and rose. That's my favorite scent. Yes. And they have all sorts of seasonal scents. And if you act now, you get 15% <laughs> off your first order at nativedeodorant.com slash dailybeans. And uh, they can deliver it right to your door. Subscription service, you save 17%. Exchanges are free and easy. And you can snooze your subscription at any time. And the customer service is immense. Thank you. And please come Amazing. again. They actually, they aren't. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> What have we become when our games of improv are just advertisements? <laughs> did I tell you? Did I tell you, Jordan, when I went and did Venice Underground, um, a, a comedian before me that went up before me was doing some crowd work, and they found out that there were like six or seven marketing advertising agents in the crowd. So my opening, uh, I opened with an ad, like I just did an ad read off the top of my head mm-hmm. <laughs> from the podcast, and everyone oh, was so looking funny. at me like what and then they sort of caught on and then it was by the end it was it was pretty hilarious that's so funny uh yeah it's uh you gotta do them every day so they're seared into your brain at this point um all right this next one is from karen karen says here by the way what happened with the whole karen thing on twitter oh somebody said that um some karen uh (laughs) complained that it was uh um, racist against white women to first of all that statement right there racist against white anyone is ridiculous but racist against white women to to, to refer to somebody as Karen and and, and everyone just jumped down her throat oh like all right God. people were like do you want to speak to the manager or like yeah. <laughs> it was just it was that was it was like the epitome of of privilege and just like come on karen it's you know being a karen isn't isn't uh isn't the same yeah jesus no self-awareness karen and there was a karen she says as a karen i would like to say that it's not racist and and you're absolutely an idiot thank you karen like all these karens responded it was pretty great oh my god everyone knows a karen and everyone's karen is a karen you know (laughs) It's so interesting how it works out that way. Who was the comedian that said, how can you never meet a baby named Karen or Nancy? Like, where where do they come from? Do they just... That's very true. Do they just materialize as as 32-year-old human resources managers? (laughs) Yeah, that's so weird. Or maybe, like, they were named Karen and their parents knew they would just go by K or something until they decided to assume the entirety of their own name. Leave it up to them. Well, all of our Karen listeners are awesome Karens. And we have one cool Chad. We have one good Chad. Actually, we probably have multiple th- good, good Chads. Chad. But uh. but we got, because we, we would, you know, we would call a group of 
uh, fraternity brothers, a Chad. Uh, of that, that was the collective noun. We called him a Chad, mm-hmm. and we we got an email from a guy named Chad. He's like, "Hey, I'm I'm a Chad. I'm the, but you're right. Chads are assholes, but I'm the one good Chad." It was really funny. <laughs> oh my god, is Chad short for like Chadwick every time or no? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, my ex husband's name is Chad. Mm. Uh, one of them. One of my ex husband's name is Chad. <laughs> Um, and it it wasn't short for anything. It was just Chad. Oh, yeah. Look at that. It's a masculine given name of Anglo-Saxon origins. The modernized no. form of the old English given name, Chayada? Chada. It, Chada? It's spelled Chada cheese. It's spelled C-E-A-D-D-A. Oh, interesting. It is also short form of Charles, Chad, with two hmm. Ds. That's an interesting abbreviation. <laughs> Just hey, take name- one of the D's away. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, hello, Chad. Oh, please, you can call me Chad. <laughs> that's like uh, Mitch Hedberg's joke. He's got a girlfriend named Lynn and an ex-girlfriend named Lynn, and the old girlfriend spells her name with one N, and the new girlfriend spells her name with two Ns, and my, my new girlfriend hates it when I call her by my old girlfriend's name. She can mm. tell because I say mm too long. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Oh, God. Um, also, Chadrick. I didn't know that was a name. And then Chadwick. Amazing. Mm. Anyway, from Karen. Karen says, here's my latest coronavirus <laughs> confession. Wouldn't have happened otherwise. With lots of spare time, I decided to declutter my entire house by cleaning out forgotten drawers and closets in order to give away extra stuff. Small problem, charity intake stations are shut down all around town. So, now my house is cluttered with stuff. That used to be put neatly away. Oops. <laughs> uh, that was nice. That's, that's that's like half good news, half quarantine funnies. I like that. Uh, all right. And our final quarantine confession from Odin. I was really bored and fiddling with a mini stapler during a Zoom law school class, and I accidentally stapled my index fingers together. I don't know that anyone noticed, but I hope that made someone's day better by telling you this. I have mixed reactions to that one. (laughs) How do you manage to staple your index fingers together? I don't, you know, my, my sister, she stapled her finger once, but it was to like something underneath. I don't know how you do it together. I don't know either. You're using your feet? Oh, that's terrifying. (laughs) Maybe like, I don't know. Oof. God. Yeah, that's true. No finger really has the dexterity necessary for for stapling. Yeah, or the strength, right? I would really have to try to staple my index fingers together, and I don't know that I could successfully do it. I'm impressed that he accidentally did. Yeah, that tells you how boring that law school class was. He invented a way to staple his own index fingers together. (laughs) (laughs) An evolution of motor skills came from how boring that was. That's so funny. Zoom Law School, my God. I wonder if mm. it's still nerve-wracking when the professor's like, Odin, what do you have to say? And then Odin's Odin. like, oh. And he's like, oh, shit, I wasn't paying attention. I was stapling my fingers together. Sorry. The god of all gods, the lead god, Odin, stapled his fingers together today during a Zoom Law School class, news at six. Is that what Odin is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a Norse god. He's the Norse Zeus. Hell yeah. That's cool. Ah, look at that. Yes, the god of wisdom, poetry, death, divination, and magic. That's a good god. Mm -hmm. Good god. He magically stapled his fingers together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what? Which one would that fall under? 
Um, <laughs> magic, maybe? <laughs> uh, all right. That's all we got for the quarantine confessions. And I, I also- have one. Oh, yes. Perfect. Uh, I gave <laughs> uh, earmuffs for the kids. Well, no, they won't understand. Um, I gave I gave it myself. I gave myself a do-it-yourself home Brazilian with my ex-husband's beard trimmer. Oh God, how did that go? It was. It's great. Oh, good. It's fantastic. Oh, well, that's mm-hmm. good. And I hope he asks for it back in the divorce and uses it on his face. <laughs> that's funny. It's funny how the origin of hair is for some reason something that people can't get over like if it's an eyebrow like if an eyebrow hair gets on you someone's like oh how beautiful let me make a wish on it or whatever but then if it's a pube they're like oh you sick fuck it away from me <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> disgusting thing <laughs> that's so funny um but yeah I'm, I'm glad that worked out i think i've abandoned i mean my my toenails at this point i can like you know when people do that thing when they're waiting and they like tap on the Oh. They go, they go like, yeah. like, yes, yes, exactly. I can like do that with my toenails now. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> I'm just I had to. I cannot. That's I had not to. That bad, but it's bad. Yeah, I had to take off my um, manicure from a couple weeks ago, and I gave myself a little home manicure, and it's really sad. <laughs> it's oh. really, really sad. These dude, it's freaking hard. That shit's impossible to do well. I'm always it like is. making myself bleed and shit. Get dangerous quick. Yep, I got an owie. I got an owie yes. from it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then one more one more good news. This is a, uh, an update to a good news that I had shared randomly in one of my self-recorded notes, but one of our listeners, um, she's on Twitter at Little Olive, Lil, sorry, Lil Olive, XOXO. She is the one who made 600 masks on her, on oh, her yeah, own. Yeah. yeah, so she said that she got interviewed uh, by City Lab slash Bloomberg in an article called In the Fight Against Coronavirus, The Makers Have Mobilized, which is super cool. That's at citylab.com. So awesome. check that out. Are uh, listeners making differences? Very cool. It's always nice to be recognized. Yes. And our listeners are so engaged and active and compassionate and awesome. It's it's great to have all to ha- mm-hmm. have this whole little little community with little olives mm-hmm. doing little things. Also, did you uh my my friend Steve, my co-host on I disagree. He which by the way dropped an episode today. Uh he said that they're at eight o'clock where he's living in downtown. He can hear all the people that are going out on their balconies and flashing lights and DJing and stuff for health workers, which is really nice. That's awesome. We had a somebody write in and say that um, people were howling out there, out, you know, out on their porches, and you could hear it in the neighborhood. Like they all go out at eight o'clock at night and they all howl. Oh, cool! I love that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so that that finishes up the good news block, and I think the quarantine confession section was very. That is going to be. I'm really glad that you all had the idea to start this because this is a perfect time for confessions. No one, yeah. you know, you're you're alone. I feel like everyone's everyone's a little bit up to here in terms of needing social interaction. So I'm ready for some big beans to get spilled on these stories. The more embarrassing, the better. I'm going to share some ones too. Yep. That'll be great. Yep. And feel free to remain anonymous. It's I was oh, just yeah, totally. joking. Definitely. Like a, like, a, like a Catholic confession. They put the screen up. You can't see who it is. Mm-hmm. No one knows. <laughs> yeah. You, you get better confessions that way. Yes, definitely. All right. Well, thank you for all that news. Any any final thoughts? Anything you want to leave uh, leave any everyone with? Um, 
No, not currently. I uh, hope we're we're into a week in April. You know, whether that went by fast or slow, we got here either way. So that's good. Congratulations to everybody yep. that's been pushing through. Um, and the ones who have been having a tougher time and making it through every day is a success. And I hope that people are reaching out to you and you're reaching out to them. And I am doing uh, good and better than I was doing a couple days ago. So thanks for the good messages again, everybody. Yeah, agreed. Shout out to my friend Jill Kimmel. Um She's a comic and, and a friend. She she actually just posted on her Facebook last night. Hey, I don't know who needs to hear this, but just go into your kitchen and just empty out your dishes. Just clean the dishes out of the sink. You'll feel a million times better. Yes. And I I did. I was like, oh, Jill told me to. I'm going to go do this. And it, it did. It felt it felt really good. Um, so yeah, it's it it can be tough, but I think um I think we're learning that we all support each other, support one another, and and that that really helps. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, um, I have no final thoughts either other than Jordan. I really like this that we do the good news together. I suggest we keep doing this and uh, uh, going forward if you're cool with it. Oh, I'm super cool with that. Are you kidding me? My God. All right. That's Excellent. The then we'll, we'll do that for we'll do that for a while. See how it goes. See how see what people think of it. Uh, and um, until tomorrow, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>